so it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast and oh, what a day it is to be a Wallabies supporter tonight after that game. We're coming to you recording Sunday night, so the atmosphere is still going. I've still got the adrenaline running in my gold-blooded veins as the Wallabies took down the All Blacks in Bledisloe 1 in Perth and it's in front of a sellout crowd, 47-26. I am joined by Toby and Leo. They're here with me. They're in their Wallabies gear as well. Boys, how good was that last night? Oh, such an entertaining game and and so many of the things we talked about and, and were optimistic that the Wallabies could could improve in their game and players who could pick up their effort and it all just happened. And I mean there was there was there was extra opportunities out there where we could have scored even more points. It just just everything seemed to click into place. Uh, and we and we even didn't get all the rub of the refereeing decisions to go with that. Yeah, the refereeing was pretty terrible in this one, I, I thought, overall. But, look, best game I've seen the Wallabies play um, since Rugby World Cup 2015 against England. I haven't really felt this way about a Wallabies performance for a while. And, you know, this is what I wanted to see out of them. I know they have the players. It's just putting it all together. And it looks like they're on their way. I just hope it's not a one-off. But, um, yeah, let, let's, um, let's chat about it. Yeah, let's take you back, like, two, three days when this team got announced and... I think all of us were a little bit sceptical, particularly around one name, James O'Connor being put in up at that 13 jersey. And we were all questioning what Kurundrani had done to be dropped, why they'd put a guy coming back from uh, Europe with limited rugby into a position that none of us had really seen him play. And he wasn't really touted as a 13. What do you guys think of that initially? And have you been proved wrong? I, I didn't understand it at all. It, it felt like... We'd finally reached um, the point in the in the rugby championship in the 2019 international season where we were playing one of our biggest games where we needed to get a win at home and we were trying all new combinations all over the park and particularly O'Connor at 13, as you said, not not regarded a 13, doesn't typically play 13. Um, I think Archie might have said, oh, he played 13 back at... So a, a club level I or something. At Sale, at Sale, he played a few games there, but he, he predominantly was playing at 12. So very, That's very right. limited experience at 13. And so to, to do that against the All Blacks in a home game, in a new stadium, it's kind of like think about the Waratahs earlier in the year playing their, their first time at, out at Parramatta and you think you just want to get a good win. Don't take too many risks, but, but you know, set yourself up to win and all this change. But he had a blinder. James O'Connor was fantastic. He was really, really uh, dynamic in attack. Uh, he, he threw that risky offload, but it paid off to Hodge. Uh, he in defence, he was he seemed to be covering multiple players. Like he physically, he looked like committed to one guy, and then when the ball was not offloaded, he still managed to stretch and make tackles on the inside man. And I, after seeing that, I, I really worry for TK because I, I see TK lining up one guy and not being 
capable of, of switching and, and maybe not having the same pace as James O'Connor. Yeah, I think it's mobility and, yeah, just the patience and calmness that, that Jock brought in this game that I didn't expect. And he often punches above his weight defensively. Like, he's not a particularly big center, but he doesn't seem to have any trouble taking guys down. He's got good tackling technique and his decision-making was really good in this one. And again, look, he's, we haven't seen him in a gold jersey for six years. It's such a long time. He hasn't been playing for the Wallabies since he was 23. And to come in into such a cauldron against the All Blacks and a, a pretty decent All Blacks backline, probably not their top-tier backline, but, you know, so many threats there. He was just calm. He just, I don't know, it was just a performance that I didn't expect from him. I was worried about this this combination. And from my perspective last week, I thought TK and Samo is the way to go throughout the whole year. Now it really throws a spanner in the works. Um, depending on, I think, Jock's performance next week, if he can bring it in Auckland, then it may be that TK is just a squad member going forward. He really seemed to be able to actually get the wingers more involved in this game and something I think we noticed a bit of a lack of involvement getting the ball wide in previous games because it get caught up between Samu or TK in those centres. But he really seemed to get Marika and Hodge obviously with the two triassists for Hodge involved into this one. Yeah, and he's, he's a, a, a ball-playing... He's not going to be the big booking runner like like TK, but James O'Connor surprised me with quite how well he played. And yeah, didn't let us down in defence. It's a, it's a pretty well-rounded performance, and I'd be, again, I'd be surprised and I wouldn't have he made changes from from that back line for the next test unless the injury fall, which I don't think we had any injuries, did we? No, just a few niggles, but I think maybe Rory Arnold's elbow could be a concern, but I think overall we got through pretty injury-free in this one. So, boys, we talked about James O'Connor. Uh, what are the other standout players you want to mention specifically for the Wallabies? Um, uh, from my perspective, again, I think Nick White, stellar performance. He was everywhere. Defensively, he was just onto everything. Um, was getting that ruck ball out nice and quickly making good decisions, didn't really throw a bad pass. I just, the way he's playing at the moment, the form he's showing, it, I find it difficult to see Genia coming back in. I know that Genia played really well last week as well, but it just looks like Nick White is, is running the show better than I've seen a Wallaby's halfback do for a long time and really getting the forwards involved. I'm kind of at, at a pain to really think about disrupting that and Christian as well. I think his combination with Christian is pretty strong. So I think those two have probably earned their way into the next test. Yeah, I agree. I, well, I was definitely a standout. Christian was, if he wasn't a standout, he certainly wasn't um, a disappointment. And it's just another quiet set of hands, quiet, quiet player just guiding around. Uh, and, you know, we get injections at, at first receiver from other players, O'Connor, Beale. Um, uh, Samu, it, he he didn't really look put off by that. He just looked at it to happen. We got a bit of a mix of things, which all around that back line looked really hot. Were you guys concerned at all? Nick White did look like he was sniping often and early at the start of this game. He did get smashed a few times early, but it seemed to maybe come together a bit more sort of towards the end of the first half. Are you worried he's going to do that too much and... Um, try and run a bit too much and not give the ball out. It's possible he could do too much, but I think I think he's he tempered it a bit in this game. But it's good to have that early and and be picking good times to do it. 
because again it makes the defense thing okay we can't afford to leave space for the halfback we have to keep a man at the ruck on each side etc yeah i think willie probably doesn't do it enough and by nick white doing this early in games he's going to throw the defense kind of in two minds and i know it wasn't super effective every time in this one but he was disruptive in that he was stepping around rucks kind of keeping the ball in tight um and the all blacks forwards didn't necessarily expect that and then he stopped doing it so much and kind of threw it out the back more quickly. So I think just the way he varies his game is very good. Um, we know his kicking game is very good as well. And I just think he controls that pack really well. Um, and he's not scared to get in the ruck and, and do the dirty stuff as well, which, which I really like. Look, again, with someone I want to give a shout-out to that probably um, doesn't get enough credit sometimes, I think Reese Hodge had a really good game, finished really well, took some good high balls, um, and he just knows how to score a try. He seems to be at the right place at the right time. There's a history of scoring tries for the Rebels and the Wallabies. And his you know, conversion rate for number of games to tries is really high. So, um, look, I think he's locking down that wing spot. And with Marika on the other wing, we're starting to see some sort of combinations form with Bill at fullback, I think. Yeah, good, good hands, good positioning, not overrunning passes. I, I can picture a lot of situations in the past where Hodge has been on the wing and the ball has gone sailing over his head because the pass was was poor, not because he was fumbling catches and making mistakes. So getting him on the end of a few good passes and we're, we're getting those results. Uh, Marika was almost too busy around the backs of the rucks, but he that breakout down the sideline that gave us the, the pleasure of seeing Samu absolutely steamroll Bowden Barrett coming in at fullback, mate, trying to make a tackle. Um, mm. So, again, Marika, very good. Samu... Really, really strong. Didn't see him a lot in midfield, but when, when he got the ball in a bit of space, he was really explosive. Um, like I said, this back line just really gelled. I really enjoyed watching all of them play, and I'm so surprised that it that it worked so well. I think Marika just doing a bit what he used to do in league, coming out of dummy half, just those quick sniping runs, and he got the try that way as well. And I think he just knows when to inject himself now. He's got the confidence to kind of read the game and... Um, it used to be maybe find himself out of position or, you know, trying to do things at certain times that didn't suit the game. But at the moment, he, he knows when to put in a little kick. He knows when to snipe, um, chase hard in defense. He just seems to have a really well-rounded game. And I'm happy for him because I think he's a great talent. He's a genuine finisher on that wing with plenty of pace. So I think we need him. He's bloody quick when he snipes too. Quicker than any forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've talked about the backs there, but... Obviously, that was a big step up from the forwards in this game as well, especially in set piece. We're really solid. We're taking our own lineup ball and getting good ball from the scrums as well. Um, the only big change was Ala Latoa coming back in. Do you boys like what he brought? A bit of a change from having Kepu there? Yes, absolutely. Ala Latoa was, was far superior to Kepu, and I think we knew that. I think we, we were expecting to see exactly that. Um, he delivered, no questions about that at all. Um, and and again, I, I thought it was odd we would break up uh, a well developed combination across the front row by putting Fainger on the bench. But Tolu got an opportunity to start, and he played really well. His line out throwing was straight and true, and his involvement on the field. I think he he kind of got run off a tackle on the All Blacks first try. You sort of seen him falling down back play, but I don't think that was really on him. Um, he had a really good game. He's he's somehow he's good given these opportunities, but he's not letting us down. 
now that he's now that he's got the starting berth, it's um, surprising but really positive. I'm really happy. Yeah, I think Tolu is an on-baller. He's just necessary to get in there, disrupt rocks. Um, I just think he's better around the park. Probably carries the ball a little better than than Fyinger as well. And look, if he keeps his set piece, we all know he's a strong scrummager. If his line-out can stay together as well, I think he's probably... It's almost a bit interchangeable with Fyinger, depending on who you're playing. But I think just his ability to be on the ball and, and be a real niggle, um, a thorn in the side of these teams in around the ruck, um, I think it really added a lot. And it's probably his best game in a gold jersey, to be honest, Tolu. And presumably with those two that we like, um, the only other hooker that would be coming in to, to make up the squad would be Tafu. Yeah, I think Taf's on the fringe at the moment. He's, he's with the squad. Um, look, I think just with his experience, and he may not play a lot if we select him for the World Cup, for example, but I think having him in there around the group with these mm. you know, young, slightly inexperienced hookers in some ways, um, it probably adds a bit more than having someone like Jordan Ulysses who hasn't really had a lot of game time for the Wallabies. And, um, yeah, I think just having Taft there. Especially if you're minutes, getting an good. Uh, injury during the World Cup and you're going deep in there. He's the kind of guy that you probably prefer to be yeah. having to call up if you come to quarters or semifinals. Yeah, exactly. And if he's there and comes in onto the bench at some point and we replace a hooker in the squad, then I think maybe Ulysses comes back in. But... I can just see that Taft's come back. He's already kind of... You see he's in and around the group a lot, and I think he's probably going to take that third spot. One thing we should mention, boys, the red card. Scott Barrett, red card in this just before halftime. Shoulder charge to Michael Hooper. Referee saw it, pulled the game up immediately, and Steve Hansen mm-hmm. sort of didn't want to comment on it at the end of the game, but what do you think, boys? Fair? A bit harsh by the ref? Is this what Barrett deserves, a red card, probably with six games suspension following it? It's sloppy, it's I the think. Rules. It's the rules, though. Like, when they put out this this um, instructional sort of flowcharty type thing earlier in the season, um, this is exact. I think they applied that process absolutely correctly to the to the incident on the field. The problem for them is that they haven't applied it consistently since it came in. And so this is going to feel harsh. I will not be surprised at all if this is reported as uh, harsh or, you know, a, a poor decision, uh, too extreme. We know red cards have a big effect on the game. We don't want to see games ruined by bad decisions. But as per their rules, this, this I think, was the correct call. Um, look, I think letter of the law probably is a red card. The only thing I would contest about that is the... The mitigating factor, I think, would be the lack of force. He, he was already kind of low on his knees and he was kind of falling into the, the tackle, the clean out there. And I don't think it was excessive force or deliberate force really used. He kind of tucked his arm like he was bracing to get hit by Hooper as well because Hooper was falling into him. Um, and it was kind of, it wasn't square in the head either. So I think it was harsh in some ways. I think a yellow card would have been sufficient. Um, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, maybe this is nothing. It could just be a penalty. But also the the interpretation from a Northern Hemisphere referee is going to be different as well. Um, I was surprised by the red, and I think that it probably did spoil the game a little bit, but it allowed the Wallabies kind of to take advantage of that, and we didn't kind of let our guard down too much. So, you know, these things happen, and we've seen it happen to the Wallabies. We've seen it, you know, Sokopi Kepu clean out with his head and, 
gets sent off against Scotland a couple of years ago and it changes the whole dynamic of the game. But, you know, if you look really strictly at the laws, then, yeah, maybe it is a, a very, very, I guess, right on to between a yellow and a red, but probably more towards a red if you're looking at the laws very closely. Which I think you have to. And, and like I said, I'd, whatever the law, they should referee to them consistently and that way teams and players can prepare and aren't caught surprised in a situation like this. I, I think the fact is through the Super Rugby season, that would have been a yellow um, if seen a lot of the time. And that's why they're going to feel hard done by. Mm. Before we talk a bit more in depth about the All Blacks, one thing I did really like to see as well with all the forwards sort of standing up a little bit in this game, it was great to see our captain, Michael Hooper, not take a backward step at all, even when sort of getting a monster a few times early in the game, getting an early cop to the head, bleeding a little bit. And then Artie Sevilla comes and rubs his face in the ground and Hooper gets straight up, doesn't take a backward step and doesn't, you know, walk away from it. And that's a bit of a different Hooper to what we've seen in the last while. We'd see Hooper not really get fired up at all about that and just sort of laugh it off. But I kind of like the passion that I saw from him in this. Yes, and and we we watched the game together, Arch. When that happened, I was I was exactly the same, thinking, finally Hooper's not just going to take it lying down and go, oh, you know, not worth wasting energy on that. He was fired up. He he wasn't happy, and he wasn't going to let Artie Sevilla just bully his way around. He was going to let him know that, nah, that's not on. And I mean, there's a little bit of gamesmanship in that too, because if you make a bit of a fuss, you make sure the ref looks into why was there a fuss, and that probably starts building further case in his mind, oh, the All Blacks are... Hooper's already busted and bleeding and swollen. Stuff's going on. So when Hooper gets a shoulder in the back of the head or back of the neck later on, it's kind of fresh in his mind that they've already been targeting him, trying to unsettle him. And so I think it's worth making a point about it at the time for sure. And it was smart that Hooper didn't react too aggressively, like grabbing the jersey, pulling him back, fine. But he didn't punch him. He didn't do anything stupid. So he didn't place himself at risk. Yeah. Yeah. And he respects Artie Sevier. He said so much in the the press conference. He, you know, he just said that's part of the game. Look, Artie's a great player and I respect um, his game. So you could see when Nick White came in as well, like they were just having a bit of a joke around. And I think there's a lot of these guys do get along pretty well and they respect each other's game. And, it's good to see a really tough competitive um, match, particularly between the forwards. I thought that our forwards were were very, very good, very physical um, and dominant. I thought just across the whole game we were dominant. We had good momentum. Um, and, yeah, I just can't really fault any one player in this Wallabies team this week, which is unusual. And, again, after last week we talked about uh, Lucan and wanting to see that work rate lift and, and fewer errors. Congratulations, mate. You absolutely played out of your skin and I was making a, a conscious effort to try and keep an eye on him making tackles and then how quick he was getting up and back in the line and he was straight back on his feet every time that I saw so um, again a complete team performance each individual stood up anyone who we had question marks about I think certainly played them away for this week yeah I think we can see more from Lucan as well to be honest I think that he can take his game to the next level I still think there's certain things in his game he can improve on, and that's that's probably with everyone. But he's a guy with tremendous potential. He's 22, 23 years old. He could be around for quite a number of years at that number six spot. And you got to like what he's what he's done. That he's really bringing his performances up a notch every week. And 
Czech is showing the faith in him. And I think this is what we need. This is why this team is gelling better. Because particularly in the forwards, we're not having these wholesale changes like we have in the past where we're rotating in second rowers in and out of the team and changing up our back row every week. We're sticking with this lineup that we think is the best. And I think the results are going to come now. So going to the All Blacks and they had to make a couple of changes. Obviously, Brody Retallick injured, so Scott Barrett came in. Uh, a brand new back row, Sam Kane, Kieran Reid and Artie Sevilla. Like we thought, Artie Sevilla didn't get moved to the six rather than supplanting Kieran Reid at eight, even though in attacking scrums was packing down to the eight, but that's a back row that's never played together. And then we had Anton Lennart-Brown and Jack Goodhue in the centres as well, as well as continuing with the Moanga Barrett experiment. But they didn't quite gel together. A lot of dropped ball, a lot of missed tackles in defence. They were constantly trying to disrupt us at the ruck, but didn't manage to get as many turnovers as I thought they were going to get as well. Was that just the resolve of the Wallabies turning too strong, or are the All Blacks just showing that they are more vulnerable? I don't think they played well as a unit in this game, and like you've mentioned, lots of changes and new combinations, but um, look, Australia really lifted that first 20 minutes. They brought the intensity that we needed them to to, to really put the All Blacks on the back foot and, and put some points down and, and try and uh, unsettle them. The the centre pairing didn't think was particularly fluid. Um, I you know Barrett injected from fullback a bit, but it, it sort of it, it didn't really feel like their sort of normal routines. You didn't see as much of Barrett. Um, he really he really looked best on the counter coming from deep, which he usually does at ten because he lurks out the back for the kicks in defence anyway. So um, I think I think they, they tried to really target our rucks, but we were right there and we were onto it. And they didn't really have an answer for us after that. They just started um, losing losing form a bit and just and the passes went awry. Yeah, you're right, Lee. You could see that early on. They were just there was at least one or two guys in every ruck trying to disrupt it, slow it down. Because they know when we have quick ball we're really dangerous. Um and our forwards were up to the task. Last week, if we'd played like we did last week against Argentina, they would have taken the ball 50% of the time. But at this stage, we had identified that as an issue and we obviously worked on it during the week. And we saw that tactic coming from the All Blacks and we were able to prevent it. So that was really good. Um, I think the All Blacks just, look, they weren't able to build pressure. They weren't able to kind of put together multiple phases. Only 35% possession. Um Look, That's probably the biggest away, thing, isn't it? We just didn't give them the ball. So they couldn't build Didn't have build the ball, didn't have the territory. Mm. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of kicking back into their backfield and, and just handing it over from early phases. We held the ball and played our phases, um, and, and that just stops them getting opportunities. I mean, look, 19% possession in the first half for the All Blacks. That's how skewed it was, and you don't see that very often. I think that'll be a real focal point for them when they go home to Eden Park. They'll try and hold on to the ball. They'll try and build pressure because they know when they do have the ball, they do score points pretty quickly and they can they can carve us up when they need to. It's just they didn't have that many opportunities here to do it. And look, our set piece was dominant, I think. Again, our, our line out was, was pretty good. I think we had the edge in the scrum as well. And it's unusual that we seem to consistently had that dominance across the park. So very pleasing. Um, look, I think the, the back row for the All Blacks, probably going to stick with that you'd have to say um i think their biggest issue now they've lost Brody in the second row now they're losing scott barrett it's probably going to be someone like patrick tuipilotto coming in 
probably not a front, you know, top tier All Black. Um, so they're going to be weakened through that. And there's probably still some question marks across their their front row. I think Dane Coles was good, but their props, I think our props probably outplayed their props, and that's that's rare again to see against mm. an All Blacks team. Yeah, Frank's looked a bit old out there in the defensive line, and we we targeted his channel a couple of times when we got wide, and and certainly um, made hay hay with that. So they weren't they weren't that strong, um, and they were easy to pick or pick off and around. When I think he, I think Frank's was also one of the guys around the ruck when Marika went for his burst. Um, so just just maybe you know not not paying enough attention and not reacting quickly enough. It's guys we can target next week. I just think we're more dynamic across the park, and yeah, just they, they're probably their front row is probably like they're all five years older than our front row, front row really overall, and mm. you can just see that they're, they're older legs. I think both the uh, Franks and um, Moody, uh, Joe Moody, will probably be gone next year, and you know they they try and do this. The All Blacks build real strong veterans into a World Cup, and then transition to the next phase to build into the next four years, but. It may be these guys are probably held on a little bit too long, perhaps, and they're not quite as dynamic as they used to be. And they'll also have some changes in the back line, most likely, with Goodhue sustaining a hamstring injury, leaving the field early uh, on in the first half of this one. So whether that's mm. John Leonard Brown and Lau Marpy that stay in, whether they'll pull Sonny Bill I think Williams SBW. Back in, yeah, back in for Eden Park next week. Yeah, yeah. What changes, if any, would you make to this Wallabies team for Eden Park next week? I think Luke Jones would be dropped off the bench. I still think that there's someone else that deserves an opportunity there, and it probably is going to be David Pocock um, at there in the back row spot off the bench, I think. I don't think you'd start him. I think the way our back row has been going, you shouldn't disrupt that. But um, Coleman looks strong, so I think he'll retain his place. It's just the maybe makeup of the bench a little bit. I think our starting lineup probably should stay the same. Yeah, I agree. Colin made a pretty good case to be started himself. He was, as soon as he came on, making some big tackles and especially off the kickoff, really pressuring the All Blacks and not giving them an easy exit. Uh, I think he mm. almost had a case to get to the start. Arnold probably is the form second rower. Rod has been a little bit up and down, but still not bad. So it's whether, you know, if Rory's got a little bit of a niggle on his elbow, maybe he comes off the bench and you start Colin with Rod, or otherwise you'd start... Rory and, and Coleman, if if you think that Coleman's performance deserve that starting spot, but I still would probably keep Rory and, and um and Isaac Rodder there if it was up to me. I just think they've earned that opportunity to, to play again together. Yeah, I agree with that. And and as long as they're still feeling fresh and not too bruised up from from the encounter, I'd be I'd be rewarding the guys for playing well. Leave them in the starting spots. The temptation when you have a guy come on at the 55th or 60th minute and make a big impact is to, is to value, is to see more, see more uh, value in that um, as a starting, like, Oh, if you can bring that at the start of the game, like how good would that be? You know, 60 minutes of that. It's not a, it's not an apples and apples comparison because he's come on. He's, he's taking on players who've been out there for a while now. They're not running quite as hard. They're, they're fatigued. And so he comes on fresh, and he can absolutely wallop a few guys who are moving a bit more slowly, um, and and you know lumbering around. That's it's you can't expect him to do that from the get go. And you should appreciate that what you get off the bench in that time of the game. So certainly, I would just you know there's no no disrespect to guys who are on the bench. They're as valuable as the starters. They've got a role as well. And if they can come on in that late period of the game, 
bring that intensity and ensure that the uh, the opposition don't make any last ditch efforts to turn the game around, then that's the value. They're the finishers. Hear me out. I think. Look, if we can look at our bench and how strong it is right now, and you get guys like James Slipper coming on, Taniella coming on, and just doing some great things. You got Adam Coleman making hit big hits and being really physical and abrasive around the field. David Pocock coming off the bench and pilfering. You got Will Genia coming off the bench to really light things up, and maybe even Foley there at the twenty-two spot coming in. He could play fullback. He could play ten. Um, I think he still deserves an opportunity to be in there. I don't think Tamua. Is any better having him on he the bench? He was better this week. He was fine. He was, a bit he was better fine. This week. Yeah, well, he should be. He was. He did nothing in the first two games. He did. He did some things well in this game. His defense is always strong. I still question his playmaking ability. He, do, um, he does but seem I like he likes to just run the ball up himself mainly. Like he doesn't. He's very one-dimensional. Mm. He runs straight. He runs hard. He tackles hard. But he doesn't offer that much more than that. And I think he'll Tom Banks he'll, well. He'll stay there though. It probably will, and I, I feel kind of sorry for Foley because when does he factor back in? If Lely Afano's body's up to it and he's playing like this, Foley, again, it's it's a similar situation to TK. He could just be the guy that's making up the squad and, and waiting for his opportunity maybe in the pool games against some of the lesser nations. So, the thing um, is, his form hasn't hasn't. I don't think he was that he'd be he wasn't that he wasn't too bad against South Africa. Um, but Christian is outplaying him in certain elements of the game at the moment. All elements and of the game. And doesn't deserve to be dropped. Not all elements all of the game. All elements no. of the game. Bernard Foley takes the ball to the line much better than Christian does, but I think Christian... Yeah, but in a back line of Sammy Beattie, Beal, you don't need another person taking the ball to the line. That's probably true, and, and Foley's been guilty of the past of taking the ball to the line too much and getting stranded and isolated and just monstered in, in defense by certain teams. So exactly. you're probably right. He has less flexibility there at 22, so maybe Tamua does stay there. So maybe you're looking at no changes apart from Pocock. Replace yeah, him. and I'd be happy with Pocock. I actually thought when you were saying that you were going to say Valentini, um, who would Let's also maybe deserve a run. But yeah. Pocock against the All Blacks at Eden Park, I think is probably a wiser change. That's such yeah. a good boost, like mentally, for your team to have him on the bench and when he comes on, I think. Just like Genia, Pocock, Coleman, like Taniella, like these names are just guys you know that you'd be confident starting anyway. Yeah. And to have yeah. come on like 60 minutes in, 50 minutes in, like. And for the opposition that's to look up can... and see those people and be like, oh God, we have to look out for Taniella rumbling through or Genia's like um, flat ball out to Beal now and things like. Yeah. They bring such good energy. And if we can at least be slightly ahead like we were at halftime, you know, in this game or just slightly behind within three points, for example, bringing guys on at that stage of the game, I think we can get this win. I'm actually more confident. I know the All Blacks tend to bounce back, but they don't look themselves. And I think this is a real opportunity to break that hoodoo. That's right. Definitely. Eden Park haven't won there since 83, I believe. Uh, So it's been a long time for the Wallabies to taste victory over there in Auckland. But 47 points to 26, the highest ever score the Wallabies have uh, made against the All Blacks. Six tries there. Unfortunately, not the case for the Wallaroos pre-game versus Silver Ferns. They took a bit of a hiding. 47 to 10, the Silver Ferns came out victorious. Uh, Unfortunately, the Wallaroos weren't quite up to the pace for the Silver Ferns, but they'll get another chance next week as well. The other game in the Rugby Championship was over in Argentina. Uh, The Springboks took their first ever rugby championship premiership in this, and it was a 
bit of a blowout in the end, 46-13. Argentina looked on song early, but a game riddled by penalties uh, with another Northern Hemisphere ref. There were 23 penalties in this game, and it really killed a lot of the momentum. And the fact that the Springboks' set piece was a lot stronger than the Pumas really meant that they, they didn't really give the Pumas another chance to come back in this game. Yeah, and I don't even think the South Africans were necessarily at their best. Their back line had um, a few times where they where they missed opportunities. Um, they certainly, like, they ran up a lot of points. A lot of that was Andre Pollard just charging at the line from five metres out and just taking himself through and over. But Argentina were, were sort of ferocious at times, but um, dis- disjointed in their own attack, and their, their defence just... Um, so it fell apart a few times and, and I don't think it was for either team it certainly wasn't their best games I think they're, they've probably already played their best games this season um, the the Springboks just had had enough to do it and, and Argentina would be pretty disappointed that's not the the sort of momentum they hope to have leaving the rugby championship they've, they've come last but they, they didn't finish on a high note so I don't know what their next fixture is. I assume they've got a friendly lined up before the cup. But they're playing South um, Africa next week at Loftus. Are they? Yep. Yeah. Ah, okay. Oh, well, that's good. It that, doesn't get chance. any easier. No, it doesn't. But that's a good opportunity. They get some. They get to go back and and try and you know ch- change the. Maybe not. They might not get the result, but certainly change the momentum if they can come out of that. That's going to be one of the top four teams of the World Cup. I'm saying it now. I think the South Africa is looking really good when they're on. Um, I don't think they needed to be that on this week, and I don't think they were. They were probably about a, a six and a half, seven out of ten as as a team. Certain individuals were better than that. Yeah, it certainly wasn't the performance they put in against the All Blacks, but yeah, still a good one. Yeah, no, I, Arch, I was just going to say, I think maybe a bit of a hangover from the Super Rugby season and the Jaguaros success. I think maybe the the Pumas haven't really taken it their play to the next level for an international standard against, mm. you know. All Blacks, South Africa, probably three of the best four or five teams in the world at the moment. Um, I think it's really tough for them, and they've they've seen some real success and and taken some leaps forward this year. But I still think they maybe need to tinker with their lineup a little bit and um, maybe give certain guys a rest that have had a long season. Yeah, potentially. And we saw that last year a little bit with Argentina starting off a little bit faltering in games uh, versus sort of. Scotland and Wales early on in their internationals and not quite being able to adjust from that super rugby to international mindset. So a little bit of work for Mario to do there. Um, The other game that has been already played is Ireland and Italy. The Northern Hemisphere are kicking off some friendlies to try and get their run up into the World Cup going. And Ireland took down Italy 29-10 over the weekend. And I think there was a bit of injury news there, wasn't there, Toby? Yeah, Joey Carberry's gone down with an ankle injury apparently it's not fractured from from reports that we've had already but he will be out for a little bit of time and it does maybe threaten his world cup campaign a little bit um i'm not really sure on the status of johnny sexton at the moment because i'm not sure he was on the bench there but um look it's a it's a big blow for ireland um they're really trying to ramp up their preparations for the world cup having been such a good team over the last few years um, they may have peaked too early, I think, for this World Cup, and it may be tough for them to really compete at the back end of the tournament. But we've got to keep an eye on that because Joey Carberry is, if he's not starting, he's definitely off the bench, and he's one of those real key playmakers for Ireland. 
Yeah, 100%. And not their number one sort of starting team, Ireland, putting out in this one, but a lot of the big names in Ringrose and Lamore out there in the back in the excitement. So 29-10 is an acceptable result over Italy. I feel like they probably would have wanted more. Um, you say they've sort of dropped off a little bit. Two teams that certainly haven't dropped off are Wales and England, and they've got their first game kicking off in uh, only a couple of hours from when we're recording, but they're playing their first one in Twickenham tonight and then going back to Cardiff to play the reverse leg next week. So they'll be two pretty good games against a, a very hot Wales team that's looking to take number one spot in the world um, at the moment, really. Yeah, and interesting with England, um, some quite significant changes to their squad and Eddie's still trying to settle on his best lineup having you know performed pretty well in the Six Nations this year. Yeah, England's still building, I think, and still trying to find their best combinations. Obviously, guys like Farrell are going to be there. Um, it's whether Ben Young's guy like, guys like that at number nine are going to start or he's going to be off the bench. Like, There's still mm. certain um, positions that need to be, I guess, tinkered with a little bit for England. But they're going to be strong, we know that. And Wales just really need to keep up that momentum that they've had for the last couple of years and maybe not the depth that certain teams have but Wales you know on their day they can beat any team so it'll be good to see this game today and see see how the teams perform yeah getting back into it and it seemed like England the centers is sort of their biggest question as well whether they do continue to go to their bigger 12 or whether they go back to a dual playmaker role I've seen stats up lately of Henry Slade uh, the incumbent 13 for them and just how many different 12s he's played with uh, over his sort of time with England, and I think it's five or six. Isn't this the same story each World Cup that they always have question marks around their centres? And and was it Sam Burgess last World Cup? Yeah, or Ben Teo. Yeah, Ben Teo. Like, know. and they yeah. just haven't managed to settle. And I guess every time they flame out, they cop a lot of criticism. It's it's because Tuolangi's their best twelve, but he's injury riddled, and he has he's had some problems off the field as well at times. So. They don't tend to get a lot of consistent games out of him, and then that throws a bit of a, a problem for them. It throws up a bit of a problem, and before that, they were going with George Ford and then Farrell playing 12, and they've kind of gone away from that combination mm. and settled on Farrell being the Premier 10. So, um, yeah, look, England, I'm always a bit worried about England, and I think they do pose a threat um, because Eddie is so good at kind of getting the best out of his players, but they do probably need to settle on a lineup pretty quickly because they don't have too many games left before the World Cup. So that's their game tonight. And as I said, they have another game first thing next week. Uh, so next weekend, it's shaping up to be a packed weekend, as I think it will be every weekend coming up until, until the World Cup now, um, because we'll have that. We'll have the Bledisloe 2 in Eden Park, as we've mentioned. South, South Africa versus the Pumas up at Loftus Versfield. Pretoria, Italy are taking on Russia, France are also taking on Scotland, so Ireland having a week off so they can get a bit more to grips with what their lineup's going to look like if they do, if they are without key playmakers like Carberry and potentially Sexton. Yeah, some fascinating games, and it's just a time of year where you want to avoid injuries, but you also want to give these guys some game time so that you know what to expect out of them come the World Cup. Um, I think the Southern Hemisphere teams in some ways have a bit of a luxury in the way that their season's structured, that they're peaking probably at the right time with these internationals and rugby championship. There's a, such a high level of play, whereas the Six Nations, that was you know nearly six months ago now. Um, so maybe a bit of an advantage for the, for the teams we're seeing in the rugby championship, but 
again, you can't write off teams like England. You can't write off Ireland and probably Wales as well, I think. Scotland, Italy, teams like that, probably not quite the threat. Um, but, yeah, look, this, it's going to be a, a very, I think, competitive World Cup all in all, maybe one of the most competitive we've seen in, in a few years. Have you guys seen some of the Pacific Nations results and Japan's really making a mark and really taking down a few of those different island teams have taken down Tonga, have taken down Fiji by actually quite considerable margins and they are shaping up like they're really getting ready for this World Cup home, obviously, for them in Tokyo, but they, they may be looking to make a mark in a pool where they think they might be able to potentially finish second um, over Scotland. Yeah, that'd be a huge result, like fantastic for them in their home World Cup to, to progress into the final stages because, um, look, I don't think in even in the best-case scenario, most people would have expected them to do any better than, than qualify for that first round. But if they're, if they're beating the, the Pacific Islands, the... The Scottish team is, has sort of gone away from being a really strong unit and, and they're definitely uh, potential for upset there on, the, on that side. Yeah, and Japan, it's funny because I think the Sunwolves, with some of the struggles they've had, Jamie Joseph has put a lot of his energy into this Japanese team and they've been building for a couple of years now. So we see we saw what they could do against South Africa in the last World Cup and they're at a stage now where they are challenging some of the teams maybe between the, say, ninth to kind of 12th ranked range there. So they're looking to take a step up. And I think with the continuity of selections and some of the depth now that they build, I think that they can do a bit of damage. Yeah, really interesting to see how they progress and what team they bring to the World Cup because I think you'll find a lot of new names coming out there that we haven't seen so much in Super Rugby or for the Sunwolves because they have kept a few guys out and training hard for this as well. That's about all we need to cover for this week. Boys, final tips for Bledisloe 2 and Eden Park. I've got to be brave on this one. I think, look, I was pretty pessimistic coming into this first Bledisloe and the Wallabies surprised me. I have no doubt that the ABs are going to bounce back pretty strongly, but um, given the situation we're in at the moment and some of the injuries that New Zealand has, I think this is one of our best opportunities in a number of years to, to break that hoodoo at Eden Park. And Look, I'm going to back the Wallabies. I think they can win by maybe a narrow margin of three points. Yeah, look, I, I, for the same reasons, I'm going the same way. I, I think this has got to be recognised as one of our best opportunities, not just to not just to beat them at home, but to to really put question marks around them as the opposition for us when it comes to the World Cup. Um, if we can beat them in their in their home ground, and take advantage of all these sort of weakened positions like the scrums might not be as solid because they've got backup locks as line outs certainly the back line seems to be a bit disjointed i think it'd be very interesting to see what the all blacks do do they revert to a, a safer selection of of players in their more typical positions because they've had so many injuries and change do they want to find something that's familiar that the guys can play to um if they if they stick with the same unusual arrangement that they've had last week i think they're definitely ripe for an upset yeah, boys, let's do it. Upset. I'm calling uh, Genia Snipe for a try late in this game with about 10 minutes to go to potentially put us in front. And I'll just be on the boys to hold out with some solid defense to take the win in Eden Park, I reckon. Well, you were right on the money when you said Hodge will score a try uh, just before this game. Yeah. Got the first one and another one later. So I just Easy think we money. need to celebrate the success because this is. 
we haven't had this is the equal biggest margin against the All Blacks ever. We won by 21 points. We haven't done that since 1999. It's overall, I think, our biggest win because we scored yeah. the most points yeah. overall against them. So we've got to take this as a really almost line in the sand and say, look, we we can do this. It, despite the red card that maybe blew out the scoreline a little bit, we were the dominant team. We deserved to win that game. And I, I think we really need to take momentum into this next one. That's right. 19% possession for the All Blacks in the first half. That's that's without that red card. You, you put a first half like that, in at Eden Park, you certainly should be in about the same position, up by a few points or close at half time. It's just finishing it off at the end of the game. Yeah. Let's go, boys. Massive week ahead. I think, look, let's just everyone get behind them, tune in. What is it, Arch? 5.30? Yeah, 5.30 kickoff out of Eden Park. So really big. And I hope everyone out there, if you're Australian, if you're even if you're South African or South American, I hope you're turning to whatever Kiwis you know and giving them a little bit of a, a mouthful, a bit of a cop that for all the years of pain that they've handed the rest of the world. But they're looking to struggle a little bit, but hopefully we'll see a little bit more sadness from our Kiwi fans for the next week or so. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in again. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Running Rugby Podcast and at Running Rugby Pod, respectively there. Um, to keep up with all the information and we'll see what these lineups do. It's going to be interesting uh, to see what the All Blacks, whether they do get a bit running scared and move Bowden back into 10 and go away from that dual playmaker role. Otherwise, guys, make sure you subscribe to us on all the major platforms, wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you give us a rating, five stars or give us a comment on how how you're feeling about it. Just tell us how good it felt to watch the Wallabies take that win as the number Six team in the world takes down the number one. Keep on running. Run. If we get someone in 13 that's more like a, you know, a Driscoll or like, um, Conrad, Conrad Smith, you can actually like you. ball play a little bit. Then you're like, wow, we can open up all these possibilities. You can slot in at ten. Then we got Kurtley, we got Christian and James. Like, you don't know what they're going to do. 